This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Stoppage Time. My name is Chris Basinger, and joining me in the studio today is Harrison Schooler. Harrison, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a long weekend of Premier League fixtures, some disappointing results, but I'm here tonight and feeling good. Good to hear, and hopefully for the last time over the phone, David Ordway. David, how was your week? It was a good week. It was a good week. Uh, just uh, enjoying the cold weather and um, excited to talk football. All right, let's get on into it, shall we? First match, of course, the marquee match of the week, which ended a little bit flat. Uh, Arsenal played at Manchester United, ended up winning 1-0 on an Aubameyang penalty. Harrison, your thoughts on United's performance? So I'm going to take a measured approach here. Unlike 95% of the media, I'm going to take a second here and really just go over. The setup from Arsenal was absolutely excellent. Mikel Arteta deployed two workforce midfielders, workhorse midfielders, excuse me, and Thomas Partey and Mohamed Elneny. The pressing was excellent. The pace from the from down the right and left-hand side with Saka and Bayerin was great. And then the three center backs to cut off any runs that Mason Greenwood or Marcus Rashford could try to make an attempt of a counterattack. So the setup was perfect. The players, United are too heavily reliant on Bruno. And the plan from Arteta was clearly to damage control with him and Pogba. And they covered the tight spaces. At times, that diamond in midfield looked very uncomfortable. Fred, not aggressive enough, sitting at the back of that diamond. McTominay, desperately uncomfortable on that right-hand side. And sometimes they were ending up in a box. Uh, it was almost practically a rectangle with Bruno and Pogba in the two attacking roles, and it was like a 4-2-2-2. And there was no hold-up play. You could see Rashford. He doesn't have the frame to hold the ball up. He, he is just at such a difficult angle to even put his body against somebody to hold the ball up. He can't make a pass. They were hopeless in tight areas near the box. They desperately need Anthony Martial for moments like that. And there just wasn't a lot they could do. We saw this last season. There are times when they have the onus on them to take it to the opponent. They just can't do it. And... They've been figured out when they've had Bruno and Pogba on the field together. It just took a few games from lockdown for teams to really realize what they had going there, and it's just going to be its difficult. They do not have players to break teams down in a low block and without Anthony Martial to find that link in and around the 18-yard box in tight areas. It is 10 times more difficult. Yeah, United had some success with the diamond midfield in Europe, uh, but how did Fred McDominay, Pogba, and Fernandez affect the the style and pace of play. So Fred was, he was really uncomfortable on the ball that game. He lost possession quite a few times. He was quick and sharp, you know, as usual to attack and press the ball, but he was really uncomfortable on the ball. A lot of the times he would prefer to drop in between the center backs instead of pressing forward and trying to find a riskier pass. Uh, McTominay on that right-hand side, he is, uh, he's got the legs in him to do a job on that side and really cover the space, but the passing, it's not there. The penetrative balls into Bruno in good areas, as well as Greenwood on that right-hand side, they're just not there. And like I said, Arteta was just excellent in his setup to just kind of minimize the impact of Bruno Fernandez in important areas, as well as Paul Pogba and... United just couldn't get anything going. I mean, they even tried to switch to the 4-2-3-1, throwing Pogba out on that left-hand side, having Fred and McTominay in the pivot. 
And ultimately, that, that formation is what got Pogba so knackered and tired, and here he is running back to the box and commits that silly foul. Uh, Manchester United have six points from two games in the Champions League, but only seven points from six games in the Premier League. How do you weigh United's European performances against their domestic performances, and is it time for United fans to start rioting in the streets? I don't think it's time to start rioting in the streets. I think the success in the Champions League comes from both teams playing uh, attacking football against United, United taking advantages of those breaks, being well-prepared to be workhorse players that game to do exactly what Arsenal did to them. What Arsenal did to them is what United loves to do to teams. They love to take their one opportunity, work really hard, because they've got the quality to make something of the few opportunities they are given. And of the few opportunities they're given with the quality, they're more than likely going to get a good chance out of these opportunities. And that's what's happened for them in Europe. They've been able to do what Arsenal did this past weekend to PSG, to Leipzig. And in the Premier League, they're not able to do that week in and week out. Teams come in a low block. They want you to break them down. They're going to press your midfielders who are uncomfortable on the ball. And they just have been, they've been thwarted in their efforts in the Premier League. Uh, David, Thomas Party had 93% pass accuracy, 11 ball recoveries, and 100% aerial duels won. Uh, what did you make of Arsenal's performance, and specifically Thomas Party's? Thomas Party makes Arsenal a totally different football team. I mean, he is, uh, he's outstanding. Uh, one of the best signings, uh, if not the best signing of the transfer window. And, you know, he immediately made an impact, and you can just see how strong he is in the midfield. Uh, when it comes to Arsenal's performance, uh, you know, defensively, uh, they, they were really good, and that's not something that we can, we can usually say about an Arsenal team. Uh, now, offensively, on the other hand, you know, they, 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 they got a penalty, um, and that's how they won. Um, and I think that's something that they need to improve on. Um, you know, we'll see how it continues in the future. Uh, but, you know, a good defensive Arsenal team is a really good start. And, I, I mean, I'll, I'll put that to Arteta. Um, that's, that's, that's really well done. And, you know, that wasn't a game of two really good teams playing each other. That was a game of two struggling teams. And, um, and I said it before, and I'll say it again, you know, a one nothing loss at Manchester United uh, for the first time in, in years. Uh, that's a good result, and that's thanks to Arteta and Partey. Yeah, and Arsenal and United combined for four shots on target uh, in the game. Harrison, what did the team struggle with in the final third? Uh, Arsenal definitely struggled with kind of finding that creative pass in the final third. They didn't have anybody out there to do that. That wasn't part of their plan. They didn't necessarily plan, in my opinion, on having the ball high up the field for long periods of time. They didn't need a player like that. And United just couldn't get the ball in those areas. They didn't have Martial, like I've said. Bruno couldn't pick up those those spots, and they were just blocked off all game. Pogba and Bruno were blocked off, and... Yeah, other than Saka, nobody in the Arsenal eleven really had that that final pass to unlock the uh, the United defense. It took a Paul Pogba mistake. All right, and now moving on to a perhaps more entertaining match this week. Southampton played at Aston Villa and ended up winning four to three. Uh, the game ended in dramatic fashion with two late goals coming for Villa. Uh, David. Southampton have had dominant results the past two weeks, beating Aston Villa and Everton, perhaps. Um, uh, some revenge for Liverpool supporters. 
Uh, and how would you rate Southampton's performance uh, in these two games? Uh, the, the Southampton's a really solid uh, mid-table team. Um, I think they're in the top five and top four right now, and, and, and they deserve to be. Um, they're a really good team. Um, I think they lost Danny Ings, though, it seems, for a little bit now with injury. We'll see how that affects them. But, uh, you know, Aston Villa had been playing really, really well. And for Southampton to come out and, you know, beat them 4-3 and understand that they were up 4-1. You know, they, they were up more than for 4 nothing at one point. They, they were the, – the, the game was in their control. Um, and, you know, that's, it's really impressive to see Ralph Hobson, who will do really well with his team. Um, and it's, it's a shame to see Aston Villa fall off. But um, I said a few weeks ago, you know, he's going to. It's going to happen. And, um, I mean, kudos to, to, to Villa or to uh, Aston uh, – I'm a blanket to Southampton. <laughs> it's good for them, and I'm really happy to see them doing well. Yeah, luckily Danny Ings' is knee injury is not as uh, bad as initially thought from Ralph Hassenhudel. I was really impressed with James Ward-Prowse's free kicks. Those were absolutely brilliant. He's excellent from a dead ball, as we know, and to just do it twice, almost identical, it was fantastic. But a little word for Jack Grealish here. Jack Grealish is currently leading all English players in take-ons with 18 and chances created with 17. Just wanted to throw that out there for possibly Gareth Southgate if he's out there listening to this podcast. I know he's a big fan of Mason Mount, but you know what? Jack Grealish is is pretty great. Yeah, um, back to Danny Ings, Harrison. He's only scored one of Southampton's last six goals. Without the need to rely on him for those sorts of goals, are Southampton becoming a more well-rounded team? Yes, I believe so. I think they're finding options in other areas. I mean, James Ward-Prowse, speaking of, is really coming too. I mean, he's been practically kind of molded into this really strong eight, and it's it's taken quite a while. Sometimes people didn't really know what position he was best at, but he's really molded himself into this strong eight, and he's been involved into, I believe, the last four goals they've scored. And, um, yeah, if they're going to get goals from midfield to add in to some of their attackers grabbing goals, and it's just going to take some ease off Danny Ings. Mm. And opposite of Southampton's success, Aston Villa have struggled in their last two, losing 3-0 to Leeds in the previous week. Harrison, what do you attribute this run of play to? I think Dean Smith is really just willing to live and die by the way he wants to play. He wants to play full-force attacking football. He's bought the players to do so, and he believes that those first few weeks of the team of the season where he did so well is the same way he feels they can play all season. And the last thing he would want to do in a situation where they had just won is just to start changing things, and players begin to question him, and he begins to question himself, and things just go haywire from there. And they don't need that. Mm-hmm. Newcastle played against Everton this week. Newcastle beat the Toffees 2-1. to uh, David, how is the absence of key players such as Richarlison and James Rodriguez affecting Everton's tempo? Uh, missing missing James is, is the biggest. That's, the, that's, that's, that's a huge loss. I mean, you're missing your best player. Uh, and when it comes to Richarlison, I mean, another top four player on your team, top three player on your team, maybe even top two. Uh, he's outstanding too, and I think uh, when you're missing a key component like James and Richarlison, uh, you're going to struggle, uh, and you have to be able to find uh, another player to fill that role. Uh, and sometimes on teams, and every every team has this, uh, you don't have that player. 
uh, you don't you have a, a key player that you can't replace, and that's what we're seeing. You know, the fluent it wasn't as fluent. Uh, it didn't work as well. You could definitely see how the ball moved through James on the attack, and uh, that's something that Ancelotti is going to have to deal with, uh, especially throughout the whole season. You know, James is not out for the whole season, but he's going to deal with losing a player here, losing a player there, and you have to find the replacement. But I, I, I have to say, you know, for huge win for Newcastle, good for them. Um, and huge for Steve Bruce. You know, I'm a, I'm a Steve Bruce guy. You know, he got a lot of, you know, he got hated on a lot when he first got the job, and everyone was kind of like, you know, he's going to get fired, they're going to get relegated, and he hasn't, and they haven't. So good for good for Newcastle. Jordan Pickford was left out of the lineup in favor of Swedish keeper Robin Olsen. Harrison, was Angelotti sending a message to Pickford with this change? Uh it's really hard to decipher what Ancelotti's message is here, considering he came out and said, oh, no, he'll be right back, which is just begs the question, why? And, you know, maybe it's to get this guy's feet wet. Maybe so it's not so weird when they just throw him back in when they're tired of Pickford and his antics. But, uh, no, I'm not really sure, and I'm not entirely convinced that he had any impact in the game whatsoever. I didn't really find him to be anything more than above average in one performance. But, uh, yeah, I just thought Everton really struggled without any opportunities from or any any looks from Luca Dean or Richarlison on that left-hand side. David, what's your take on Pickford Gate? Uh, I think it was a message sent. Um, and I actually think Ol- Ol- Olsen had a, had a good game. Uh, he had a really good save in the first half on a 1v1. Um, and, you know, you know, he did lock two goals up, but, I mean, you have England's number one, and, you, and you're benching him. That's a message being sent to say, "Hey, you have an opportunity here." Now, the thing with goalkeepers is uh, sometimes goalkeepers don't need to do a lot, and sometimes they need to be the whole game. Um, and you know, I dealt with Lloris now for, for years, uh, and you know, he has had bad games where the, the the fans are up in arms, and hey, we need to get a new goalkeeper. Hey, he's out of his prime. Hey, and then he wins a World Cup. You know, we have a World Cup winning goalkeeper. How many people can say that? Um, and I, I think that it's the same thing with Pickford here. You know, I think Dean Henderson's a better, he's, he'll be the England number one. But, um, you know, I think that it was, a, it was a message sent to Pickford saying, here, hey, dude, like, pick it up or we're going we're gonna to move on from you and either bring in another goalkeeper or Olsen's going to step up uh, and we'll see what happens. David, you've already praised Steve Bruce in this episode, but I'm going to ask about him again. St. Maximum and Miguel Almiron had some impressive dribbles during the game. How did they play into Steve Bruce's tactics? Uh, St. Maximum is a huge player, and uh, he's a really, 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 he's kind of a little stud, you know. He, he He's quick, uh, great on the ball. You know, his final third, his final shot has gotten so much better since his, his debut in the Premier League last year. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's really stepped up. Almiron, you know, he came from the MLS, really struggled at first. Uh, I think he finally scored his first goal in the summer um, during the COVID restart. But, you know, both of them are – their pace puts them past everyone else. Uh, Maximum's ability puts him past everywhere else. And that's not taken away from Almiron at all. Um, and Steve Bruce is playing his cards the way he needs to. I think the addition of uh, – the addition of Colin Wilson and Ryan Frazier for Newcastle have also been huge. Uh, Newcastle really struggled at the front and the striker position 
Colin Wilson solves that issue. You know, I mean, he, he had a slow season last year, but Newcastle looked like a different team with him up top. And moving on, West Ham went to Liverpool this week and lost 2-1. to one. Uh, Harrison, Diogo Jada has scored three go-ahead goals in his last three games for Liverpool. Is he warranting a starting spot in their upcoming game against Atalanta? Absolutely. I think he's come into this team and really slotted in nicely. He's been managed very well by Nuno Espirito Santos before this time under Jurgen Klopp, and he's come in and made a direct impact and played very well, and I think that Firmino should be looking over his shoulder just a little bit in case things become a little congested and players are starting to slack in form just slightly. I think all three of them should be looking over their shoulder that Diogo Jato doesn't come in and just takes their spot for a big game maybe. David Klopp has been using the 4-2-3-1 formation since Virgil van Dijk's injury. Have the two holding midfielders provided that extra cover that Liverpool need in the defense? Uh, I, I believe so. Uh, and, you know, we watched this Liverpool team here. It's really, you know, they lost Fabinho too. I think we went over this last week. And, uh, you know, they, they really need to cover. And I think what they're doing is right. Uh, and, you know, Thiago will have needed in the team. So in saying that, uh, I'm super impressed. Uh, with what Liverpool has done. This is why Klopp is one of the best managers in the world. This is his job. Right? This is what you would expect him to do. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say something on Diego Jota. Uh, he's the other best signing of the, of the year in the Premier League. Uh, even though he hasn't played, started a ton, uh, you know, he's been just immense and a total game changer. And With that Liverpool squad, that's a, that's a tough thing to do. Could be a total game changer. And the ball from Sirdan Jakiri was unbelievable. I mean, that's not talked about enough. What a what an unbelievable pass to assist Jalta um, in the eighty fifth. I mean, just what a what a beautiful pass. We do love the power cube Jordan Shakiri on this podcast, but David, opposite of Klopp, the tactical genius of David Moyes was on display in this game. Uh, he's been using the five four one formation this season. How effective is this seat? is this system at preventing goal-scoring opportunities, as we've seen so far in the wins against uh, Leicester and Wolves? I mean, in all honesty, West Ham didn't play that bad. You know, they scored a goal, they were in the game, and they held Liverpool to two, uh, and they and they kept it to one game. Impressive. Uh, you know, and it's, it's a large task to go out and beat uh, Liverpool. And they, you know, they've done it. They've scored, you know, they beat Leicester, they beat Wolves, they tied Tottenham 3-3 after being down 3-0 in the 80th minute. Uh, this David Moyes team, you know, he, he's been outstanding. Uh, this is not Manchester United David Moyes. This is, this is, this is uh, West Ham David Moyes. And, you know, West Ham was one of the kind of the maybe I'll go down this year team, and they're not, they don't seem like they're into that. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, the long season to go. I'd like uh, I I'd like them to be relegated. Sorry, West Ham fans, just because West Ham and Tottenham are big rivals. But I I I, I don't think they they're looking about getting relegated this year. Second time around at West Ham, David Moyes, by the way. But anyway, yeah, West Ham, excellent setup as usual. I just think they really miss Mikel Antonio, that kind of force up front to really, especially when they play the way they play, where they really need that kind of figure to be a target man for their system, and he just causes so many problems for defenders, whether it's in the box, on the run, and, yeah, they really struggled without him. And, uh, yeah, I think Masuaku made a big mistake kicking through Salah. That was that was very unfortunate. 
Yeah, and Harrison, West Ham have taken two points from four games against big six sides, but as I mentioned, have beaten Leicester City and Wolverhampton this season. Are they overperforming or underperforming expectations? They're overperforming expectations simply because many people had them going down. And I believe I may have been one of those people. And they've completely proved everybody wrong. They've worked very hard. They've been playing for the manager, clearly, with his setup, his tactics. They've bought in completely, and he's getting more out of these players than than he did last season, certainly. Moving on to the match Monday, Leicester City beat Leeds United 4-1. to uh, Leicester are second in the league and have won both of their games in Europe. David, how are you feeling about their chances at top four this season? I mean, we're looking at a table that I think 11th or through first is five points apart. Uh, I, I couldn't even make a prediction for top four right now. Um, but in saying that, you know, Leicester... Lost to West Ham, beat Leeds four to one. This Premier League year is kind of unpredictable. We really just don't know what's going to happen each week. And saying that, uh, based on results so far, they are sitting second in the, league, in the table, and you know that's really great. And I think that they definitely have a solid chance of getting top four this year. And honestly, they got a shot to win it. And I actually, I, I, I think there's six or seven teams that really. On paper, maybe it's a low percentage. They definitely have a shot to win it. Um, they have the squad. They have the team. And Leicester is... Not to mention, Leicester have also beaten Manchester City this year. Harrison, do you think we're going to see another 2015? No, I do not. I don't think they have the squad depth for this. And especially with Europe, if they get through the Europa League, no. There's no chance we'll see that from Leicester, uh, at least. Uh, again, great setup from them. I think they have a bit of the United about them. With the, They do much better when the onus is on the other team to take it to them. And, of course, every time you play Leeds, you know they're going to take it to you. No matter, no matter the situation, they're always going to play the same way. And Leicester was just able to play those penetrative passes, whether it was over the top. They were just there to find Vardy or Barnes in space. And they were excellent. Vardy was involved in both goals. Created two chances, ended the night on a goal and an assist. Now, Harrison, Leeds had 68% of possession and 638 passes during the game. What made them struggle on the, sh- on the score sheet? They could not find—well, they found Bamford. He could not find the back of the net, and it was a struggle all night for him, and it was one of his uh, least—it's probably his most forgettable night so far this season. And I'm sure he'll get on the end of some crosses next week. He's not— Got his legs under him completely, fully rolling for the season. He's off to a hot start, but we'll see how how things even out. It was a hot start. Maybe maybe he'll start to you know go back to the his means, uh, so to say. And I think that they just were really struggling to break down Leicester at times. I think Leicester were very well set out and organized when pressing high up the field when Leeds were trying to play out of the back, which inevitably led to the fourth goal. And, yeah, it was, a, it was a really good setup from Brendan Rodgers. Now on to the next match, Wales, Golf, Tottenham. Tottenham beat Brighton 2-1. to one. Gareth Bale is back. David, describe your emotions during the match. Uh, I almost cried when Bale scored. Uh, what a moment uh, to win the, have the game winner. Um, you know, and after a game where we really didn't look that great, you know, he comes in and he scores a winning goal after, after a beautiful uh, three minutes after he gets subbed on after a beautiful cross from uh, and you know it was it was amazing. 
Uh, and, you know, a win's a win. I'm happy. Um, not a great performance, but that's a Jose Mourinho performance, and Jose knows what to do. Um, and he knows how to win trophies. So we'll see what happens. Any thoughts on Harry Kane making it a habit of turning around, checking to see who's behind him, and then drawing the foul? That is just rival fans being upset with a guy that knows how to play soccer. You know, and everyone has done that throughout the history. Um, and, and there's a lot of guys in the league that, you know, do that. And that's smart. I mean, it is. And, you know, if people want to call that cheating, then so be it. But the amount of players that have done that uh, or do something different that, you know, they look for a foul, they do that, you know, that's soccer and that's on everyone. You know, that was a penalty. There, ain't, there isn't a question in my mind that that was a penalty. The only thing that would be an argument is, is it inside the box or outside the box? So you don't believe uh, the referees are going to start picking up to this and what, taking it into they, consideration? Why? I have seen other players use it, but this is most notably Harry Kane's thing when he draws and, a foul. Well, and, and yeah, and, that, and it's smart. I mean, like, I'll put it this way, uh, and this is a different sport, but if you when you watch the NFL or college football, right, You've seen wide receivers go back into the defender on purpose to pull up a pass interference, right? On purpose, because the defender is in a bad position making a bad judgment call. They didn't turn around, they didn't do this. It's the same thing in, 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 in soccer and in football. You know, we, we watch this, and he, he, looks at, I can, he looks at Adam Alana to see where he is, he backs into him. If Adam Milano, all he has to do is literally man-mark him from behind, jump right behind him, don't jump up into him, he jumps up into him, it's a penalty. Uh, and, you know, I understand why people are upset about it, but, I mean, there's other players that we can get on their case about. I think it's, one, because it's Harry Kane, and for some reason, rival fans, especially in England, don't like the English captain. Or want to you know pick on him for this or pick on him for that? I mean, he's a world class player and he and he does his job. Um, and when it comes to you know you know Tottenham fans, he did everything he usually does, and there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, David, listen, I'm not disagreeing with you here. I'm all, I'm all for you know looking for the slightest ways to draw your penalties. I mean, believe me, I'm a United fan. Anthony Martial is better than basically anybody at getting that defender on your hips in the box, and he'll roll you and then roll right over on the ground, and Bruno's netting one into the into the back of the net. But I was just curious if you thought that referees were going to start taking into account that Kane is fully aware of his surroundings and. I, I mean, it's not. I, I just I think referees need to get their calls right on the field first um, before they start looking at. Oh, they came back in. I know you were. I know you weren't disagreeing with me. I just I've seen it on Twitter for like the past two days of like Manchester United fans being or Manchester City fans, not United fans, being upset. Arsenal fans and one I think it's because wow we were in second place and they were just trying to tear down Tottenham. Uh, and the other thing is uh, I think it's because you know of Harry Kane. You know. World-class players seem to get ripped down more than you know, other players. I mean, you see it with you know, um, you know Raheem Sterling. You see it with Mohamed Salah. You've seen it with Messi. You've seen it with Ronaldo. You know, oh, Messi can't win a European trophy, uh, a trophy, a national team trophy. He missed a penalty in Argentina's game. Yeah, he did, but he's still the best player of all time. Um, and I just think that, I mean, there was a decision in that Brighton game that was. How do I say sad? 
Sully Marsh? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was despicable. I I could not believe Jonathan Moss had walked over to that that monitor, taking a look at that foul that closely from those two wasn't angles. It, it was it was Craig Paulson, wasn't it? Is that wasn't it Craig Paul Jonathan Moss was a VAR ref. He told him to go over. Oh, excuse and, me, excuse me. Yeah, Craig yeah, Paulson. Yeah, he went over. I mean, but the same thing, it doesn't matter. He went over the the VAR Jonathan Moss says, Go look at this. And Craig Paulson walks over to it, watches it. For 30 seconds, and then turns around and goes, ah, no foul. He was so close, too. You could see him in the photos of the actual foul itself and those screen grabs that they had set up for the foul. And I honestly believe it was a referee that got a call wrong, looked at it on the base of things that said, I don't want to admit I was wrong, because there in the footage, it is nearly impossible. There's no, the ball, direction of the ball doesn't change. I've never never seen two referees sit there or two commentators sit there and go, oh, no. Oh no! Are you kidding me? Like, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, what a what a terrible thing. I mean, thank goodness it didn't affect the outcome of the game. But oh my, what a terrible, 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 terrible decision. You can say VAR messed it up. No, that was a refereeing decision. It wasn't VAR. Terrible with a slight uh, positive. All right, because fan of the uh, pod favorite. Tariq Lamptey got his first professional goal through uh, through that no ab- call. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, and I, I'm very happy. He had a good game, too. Um, but, you know, I, I can't believe that we, we were even put in that position. I didn't even have words to describe what I was watching. I was angry, but I was also like, that's just so the, the refs in the Premier League. I mean, that was it's absolutely what you said it was. He watched it. He said, I know I screwed up, but I don't want to say that. I don't want to say, wow, I messed up that poorly, and he let it go. Uh, Terrible decision. VAR always making its way into the conversation, but uh, Tariq Lamptey did give me some points on fantasy, so appreciate him for that. Uh, David, one more question about Tottenham. Tottenham lost Antwerp on Thursday, of course, and Jose Mourinho posted a sad picture of himself on a parked bus. See what I did there? Uh, how did Tottenham learn from this result in the build-up to Brighton? Uh, I think a few things. Um, and, I, again, I'm, I'm trying to take losses with a positive light. We played absolutely terrible at Antwerp. Uh, and I think Mourinho knows that. And I think Mourinho, he did say even with his, in, the, in his uh, press conference, he's like, I have, to take some, um, I have to take some blame for this game. Uh, you know, he left out Vinicius, Davis, and Sanchez. Um, or Davidson Sanchez, Deli Alley, Steven Bergvine. Um, he left out all these players. I'm missing somebody too, another big player. Uh, and to try to prove the point of like your your position is not safe. Uh, you don't get an automatic position in this team. And you know most of those players, except for maybe Vinicius, had a really bad game in Antwerp. And even then, the subs that we brought on were, were not good. Um, I hope. I mean, we saw a bounce back against Brighton. Um, I think, you know, with any soccer team, especially with the Jose Mourinho team, you're going to see ups and downs. But we'll see what happens in the future. I, uh, you know, we're still going to win the group in Europa. I can't, like, I mean, you can take it as a huge negative, but I'm trying not to be. And moving on from the Premier League to the Champions League, we have a roundup of the matches from last week. Bayern Munich won 2-1 against Lokomotiv Moscow. 
Manchester City won 3-0 against Marseille. Liverpool came out on top 2-0 against Michelin. Real Madrid drew 2-2 with Borussia Mönchengladbach. Atletico Madrid came out on top 3-2 against Salzburg. Barcelona won 2-0 against Juventus. And Manchester United routed RB Leipzig 5-0. Harrison, Real Madrid have been struggling so far this season. What do you make of it? Honestly, I just think they've been missing some that edge at the the top of the pitch. Benzema hasn't really been firing Vinicius, and he's not really coming. In, he's not really coming together all that they wanted him to for the the big price tag they paid. But I just think they've been incredibly vulnerable to counterattacks, and they've just been slacking. But I know they've got that ability to turn things on, and just kind of a, the flick of the switch. They're very notable for that. Um, and I think Zidane's really just got to kind of get things under wraps. He, he's been under pressure before. He's very calm under pressure as well. He's always very good in his responses during times of uh, not necessarily crisis after their win against Huesca this weekend. But uh, we'll see and we'll gauge everything after this uh, match against Inter Milan this week. David, perhaps the marquee match of this week was Barcelona versus Juventus. Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, was out with covid uh, could not play in this match. How much of an impact was it with him out? It was very obvious to be an impact. I mean, Barcelona are not a real... I guess neither of them are great powerhouses right now. I mean, they're still top elite clubs in the world. But both of them are struggling a little bit. And, you know, Barcelona, I think a, a healthy Juventus team would win. But, you know... We're witnessing uh, no Cristiano Ronaldo. There were three offside uh, called on Murata, which he scored all three times. But, you know, Barca got it done. And, um, you know, we'll see both of them go on to the next round, I believe. Harrison, what do you make of the match? Uh, Juventus look hopeless without Cristiano Ronaldo. They're still adjusting to Pirlo's new tactics. And... You saw the difference this weekend. He came on the field, scored within three minutes, and the team looked like they had an idea. Oh, and Murata scored a goal this weekend that was not ruled offside. And on to the matches of next week. Of course, the biggest match perhaps might be Real Madrid versus Inter Milan. Both teams have been struggling uh, in the Champions League, and Inter Milan uh, are currently in sixth in Syria. Harrison, um, who do you think has a better game? So the it has to be noted immediately that Lukaku is not traveling with Inter. He is not going to be with the squad, and that plays a huge factor into Inter Milan's game. I know we're talking about an Antonio Conte-based team, which is very structured. They have a good plan, but they do need their target man, and they don't have him. And when they don't have Lukaku, they struggle. And I believe we'll watch them struggle. I think Real Madrid will understand the occasion. This is their biggest game in their group state, in the group stage. This is their competition, as they like to say. This is the Champions League, and I think they'll turn it on. I, I have a feeling they'll probably they'll probably take this one because Lukaku without without Lukaku into are going to struggle. Now, David RB Leipzig are coming off a five nil loss against Manchester United. PSG coming off a two nil win against Istanbul. Uh, do you see PSG coming back to the form that we saw them in last season this year? Uh, yes, I do. Now, Neymar is injured. I don't know how long he is out for. Uh, it just depends on him a lot, too. But, I mean, you have a 
best young player in the world and Mbappe. Uh, and obviously, I think you know, I, I, Manchester United and PSG will go through. I don't think RB Leipzig has the same team that they have and had in the past. So I think we will see the PSG, uh, Manchester United 1-2 coming out. But, you know, you know PSG is a, a really good team. Uh, they will struggle, but I think their top players will win them the games they need to win. Harrison, who do you see coming out of the group of death? I have a feeling it'll probably end up being PSG if they can manage things without Neymar. Um, I think Leipzig are just lacking a little bit of quality at the final end of the pitch, and I think I think PSG just have too much quality, and I would it would be an absolute disaster for them to uh, drop out into the Europa League. And it is a, it's a real shame this week that we've got our two marquee matchups without arguably the two most notable players in each game. Maybe that is a little disrespect to some Real Madrid players, but hey, none of them are in form. And uh, no Lukaku, no Neymar. It is a really big loss this week for those games. And now moving on to everyone's favorite part of the show, the predictions, of course. I am 8 for 12 currently. Harrison is 4 for 10. And David is in dead last with three predictions out of 10. So, David, we will start with you this week. Go ahead. Uh, So looking at next week's games, I am very excited to get Two points. That's what my goal is, to get both of them right. We'll start as I will be taking West Ham over Fulham on Saturday. And I will also go Manchester City over Liverpool. Oh, what makes you say that? Uh, I I don't think you can predict that game. I just think that the loss of Van Dyke will hurt Liverpool more on the defensive side than the loss of Aguero. I also know that maybe Gabriel Jesus might be back this weekend. Uh, I think it's going to be a great game, though, and it could end very well end in a Liverpool win or a Liverpool draw. But since I can't pick teams twice, I'm going to take Manchester City. That is fair. Harrison, go ahead. So I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I've got Liverpool beating Manchester City, and I've got Tottenham to absolutely hammer West Brom. <laughs> <laughs> We shall see. Unfortunately, I've picked both Liverpool and Manchester City, so I cannot break the tie in this. But I will be choosing Tottenham, which are my final big six team to choose, over West Brom. And since I'm going to have to choose them eventually, I'm picking Burnley over Brighton. But that does it for us in the studio. Tune in next week for another episode. Until then. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.